Hello everyone, it's me, your host, Sukrayaro, and you are listening to... What is the name of this podcast? I forgot the name of the podcast for a hot moment. I'm sorry. And you are listening to Year of Blank, Year of Stories. That was... I can't believe I forgot the name of my own podcast. That was... Who? I remembered it quickly enough, but oh man. Um... Shoot. Now I'm forgetting everything. <laughs> um, so Valentine's Day is on Monday. So happy Valentine's Day in advance. Um, sh- I'm turning off this music. I was trying to vibe to some electro swing, but now it's just distracting me. Thought I could vibe. Could not vibe. Did not fit. Anyway. Well, when we left off, I... We're on chapter six now. I think our main character was, like, being overly jealous and, like, realizing he's in love with his friend. But, like... I don't even know, man. We're just gonna continue on in our life with chapter six. The next day, I walked home from school by myself, since Abby had art club again and Rob was running an errand for his mom. What a nerd. <laughs> that wasn't part of the book. The what a nerd comment was me. Because it sounds like it could fit in the book, but it do- it doesn't. It. The community center looked strangely empty as I passed it. Of course, that was probably because it wasn't packed with 200 old people in ties and cufflinks. But seeing it, even without the crowd, reminded me of last night. Something I was trying hard not to think about. I distracted myself by counting the number of steps between fire hydrants and by thinking about my history paper and about asking mom for money for our biology field trip to the fish hatchery and about what I was going to have for an afternoon snack and about why on earth Abby had worn shoes with heels last night. She can wear whatever shoes she wants, Quentin. What's his name? Yeah, his name is Quentin. I had to check the back because I wasn't sure. Anyway... Clearly distracting myself wasn't working. Abby had been a regular part of my life for years. I didn't have to spend a lot of time thinking about her. She was always there. One of the guys. But since the art show, every other thought was about her. Abby with her cup of punch. Abby laughing. Abby standing next to Justin with his arm around her. My stomach nodded up. Why did that bother me so much? Abby was like, Abby was my best friend. Like a sister. That was it. And kind of her protective older brother. Of course I don't want to see some guy's arm around her. Especially not an idiot supreme like Justin. Abby deserves better than that. I arrived home lost in thought. I let myself in, dropped my backpack on the couch, and headed to the kitchen. I started rooting around for something to eat when I heard Mom's voice coming from her room. I hadn't noticed her car down in the parking lot, but I hadn't been looking for it either. She usually left for work before I got home. I paused, scooping out a glob of peanut butter to listen. Of course I wouldn't, Ethan. You know me better than that. Mom's voice sounded thin and frustrated. No, that's just it. We can't afford the rent. We'll be thrown out onto the curb within a month. It won't help if I'm late for work. No, I appreciate your support. You know I do. All right. Love you, too. I heard the beep of the phone and the mom's footsteps. I tried to look really interested in my sandwich making. Oh, hey, honey. I didn't hear you come home. I glanced over my shoulder. She was in her coveralls and and white baseball cap. I almost expected to see tears running down her cheeks or something, but she looked as normal as ever. Hey, Mom. I tried to keep my voice steady. You staying in this afternoon or coming by mix? Um... 
I tried to form a complete sentence, but my head felt fuzzy. The echoes of the overheard phone call with Uncle Ethan ricocheting in my skull. We can't afford the rent. We'll be thrown out onto the curb within a month. I'll uh, be there in a few. I'm doing homework with Rob. Okay, see you there. She grabbed her keys off the hook and rushed out the door. Mom never really talked to me about money. She always gave me a few dollars a week for pocket cash if, it, if I helped keep the apartment clean. But other than that, I never paid attention to our financial situation. It's not like I was completely clueless. I knew we didn't have much. But I always assumed we had enough. Had our landlord raised the rent? Were we broke? A sickly feeling settled at the bottom of my stomach as I pushed aside my unfinished peanut butter and jam. Not being able to afford rent would mean not having a place to live. We already lived at the cheapest apartment complex in town. Maybe mom would get a second job, which would make her even more tired. Maybe I would need to get a job. It was a slow walk to mix as the weight of the world seemed to press a little more onto my shoulders, and then the anger started oozing out of me, like jelly from the edges of my sandwich. Anger directed toward Anthony Cinetti. That's just... My throat is dying. My dad. Jesus! <laughs> ah. <clears throat> I don't know. What's up, bro? My dad. In the seven years since he left, I'd, I'd never really thought about him. Or rather, I tried not to think about him. I tried so often that my mind automatically deflected thoughts that might lead in his direction. Father's Day wasn't on my personal calendar. I avoided playing Little League because someone's dad was always the coach. I'd even dropped out of Cub Scouts back in the day because my Pinewood Derby car always looked pitiful compared to the kids who had fathers with jigsaws and sanders. It wasn't that I hated the man or resented him or missed him. Mom still had a photo of him somewhere, but if I allowed myself to try, I don't think I could even picture his face. He was just a gaping hole in my life. But as I kicked at the sidewalk on the way to Mix, I shot angry fireballs into that gaping hole. Taking care of the family is the father's job. The man is responsible for making sure everyone has enough to eat, that they have clothes on their backs, that the rents get paid, that the rent gets paid. Ugh. Maybe it wasn't fair for me to be angry at him then, after not letting myself think about him for so long. But Anthony Cinetti hadn't exactly been playing fair when he left us either. I took up my place at the picnic table, but didn't even bother to open my books. I looked over at Garage Bay 3, where Mom had, had started working on an old Grand Am. Shocks replacement. She looked up and waved. I waved back. I couldn't see the worry on her face from where I sat, but I knew it was there. It wasn't long before Rob showed up and plopped down beside me. Dude, Quentin, you were supposed to have your homework done by now so I could copy it. He pulled a binder from his backpack along with a bag half full of Golden Walk fortune cookies. Chow mein last night? I asked as I reached for a handful. No, pot stickers with meat inside and fried rice. You have it tough. I broke into the cookies, tossing the paper fortunes into my backpack. Are you kidding? Fighting Marcus for the leftovers he brings home is no easy job. I never even get a taste of the mooshu pork. Are we waiting for Abby? She's at art club. Oh, yeah. Hey, that Justin guy sure had his hands all over her last night, didn't he? Seems like they might be more than just art club buddies. The thoughts that had trailed me for most of the day suddenly reappeared. I sighed and crunched another cookie. You notice that, too? Rob snorted. Yeah, hard not to. I mean, I hear it some. Yeah. Ugh. Jesus Christ. I hear it happens sometimes. Eighth graders hooking up with seventh graders. Should we start with English? 
I dusted the paper fortunes off my folder and pulled it out of my backpack. Rob glanced at me. Um, sure. He flipped open a textbook. Hey, Ricky Mitchell told me he set up a new bike park, a new bike jump over at Lincoln Hill Park. Says you can get some sweet airtime. We should go check it out today. Cool, I mumbled. My bike jumping career had consisted mostly of twisted handlebars and scraped elbows. It, it came to a dead stop two years before when I broke my arm down by the river. Mom told me that I'd be paying for the next broken bone out of my own pocket. Ever since then, my bike always seemed to have a flat tire whenever Rob wanted to go jump. Hey, Rob and I both looked up to see a high schooler approaching us from across the parking lot. He had on expensive shoes and a letterman jacket with the name Jared embroidered on the front. Jared. That seems like such like a straight guy name. I'm I'm so sorry. I'm so Him. I recognized him from around town, but I didn't know him, and I didn't figure he wanted to discuss bike jumping. He stopped a few yards short of the picnic table. He looked at both of us and then pointed at me with his chin. You the guy I'm looking for? I was honestly clueless. Um, who are you looking for? The kid that, you know. He huffed and glanced around before dropping his voice. His his creased forehead vaguely reminded me of a ticked-off bulldog, the Heartbreak Messenger. I'd never heard that name before, but I immediately knew what he meant. My throat got a little tight and I couldn't swallow. It hadn't occurred to me that there might be dangers associated with the job that I had done for Marcus. This was probably Melissa's brother or cousin or hired hitman with instructions to take me down. Ignorance was my best strategy. I'm not sure what you're talking about, I said in what I hoped was an innocent voice. The guy took a step closer. Are you the kid that broke up with Melissa Hales for Marcus McFallen? There was silence for a whole five seconds, then Rob whooped. You're famous, Quentin! Wow! The heartbreak messenger! You're like a cross between a superhero and a gangster! I could have slucked him. Hard. Instead, I looked as coolly as possible at the guy in the letterman. Letterman? I don't, I don't know and I don't care. Yeah, that's me. He nodded his head toward the parking lot. I need to talk to you. He glanced nervously at Rob. So did I. Rob shrugged and raised his eyebrows. I followed the guy to the far edge of the parking lot, which was hedged on one side by the by trees. I took comfort in knowing he could only get in a few swings before Mom or Mick would see and come rec rescue me. That wouldn't be too bad. Probably a few days in the hospital and the whole school hearing how my mom had saved me from a bloody beating by knocking a high schooler on the head with a monkey wrench. The guy... <clears throat> the guy glanced around as he came to a stop, apparently satisfied with where we were. I debated whether I should try to fight back, or if that would just make it worse. But I knew Rob was still watching. I clenched my fist. I'm Jared. I've got a few classes at school with Marcus. He told me about what you did for him. I want to hire you. My fear melted away like ice cream on the pavement. Hire me? Yeah. Jared said. I, uh, I need to break up with my girl. He was staring at the ground. I think it would be easier, better, for both of us if it went through someone else. I felt it welling up inside me, the same feeling I'd had entering the old folks' home back in the, back in the day with a stack of fundraising catalogs, a golden opportunity ready and waiting. I nodded sagely. 
You don't need to explain to me. I completely under I understand completely. Jared half smiled. I figured you would. I cleared my throat. I'm sure Marcus told you that my rates are high, but fair. I mean, after all, you're not going to find anyone else in town that has my kind of experience doing this. Jared folded his, arm, his arms, listening. Deep breath. I charge a flat fee of $25 for a basic breakup. I'll deliver the message and give you a confirmation when it's done. But most of my clients realize it's a little cold to have someone just deliver a message in a situation like this. So I also offered a Lux package that includes chocolates and or flowers. I silently thanked Melissa for her parting advice, even though this probably wasn't what she had in mind. Chocolates and flowers? Jared looked slightly confused. But I'm breaking up with her. I smiled sadly. Of course, but the flowers kind of say thanks for the memories, and the chocolates, well, you don't want to leave the girl completely alone. Why not? She'll find someone else soon enough. Think quick, think quick. Ah, let me put it this way. The easier you let her down, the less likely she'll be to come after you with pepper spray. Jared studied me for a minute and then grinned. I like your thinking. The heartbreak messenger has obviously done this before. I spread my arms out confidently, like a jeweler behind his glass case. So what will it be? He reached back and pulled out his wallet. I'll take the deluxe package. Great. I realize I still have my English folder and pen in my hand. I don't have any of my standard forms with me, but why don't you just tell me your girlfriend's name, her address, where she works, and what her favorite flower is. The heartbreak messenger will take care of the rest. I charged Jared $10 for the chocolates. I had bought chocolates for Mother's Day before, and I knew I could get a nice box for less than that. I wasn't sure about the flowers, though. I made a guess at $15. The total came to $50, more than half of which was pure profit. Any kid would have been excited about earning that kind of cash, but by the time Jared was out of sight, I was already thinking ahead. If I was going to help Mom out with with our rent, I'd need more than $25. I figured that our rent was probably in the neighborhood of 400 bucks. To put down half of that, it meant eight jobs like this one each month. Whoa. But it had to be done. Living in the street didn't appeal to me. Ugh. Stupid white boy. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I don't know if that picked up, but I feel... Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. I regret everything I've ever said in my entire life. Ugh. Screw we don't talk about Bruno. Now it's we don't talk about Sucre. Jesus. <laughs> That's a joke. And a really bad one. Oh, boy. Um. Oh, hey. I gotta... Hang on. It's one minute to 7.20, which is 4.20 for, for my partner. You get the vibes. Hey, who, ha, 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 who. It's 4.20 now for them. I gotta send this message. Load, bestie, load. I'm just gonna, like, button match real quick. Because I don't... Actually, I think I'm good. There. I did it. I've done it. And <laughs> I'm sorry for the frantic vibes that I just had. Anyway, if you know what 420 is and you're a child, um, I don't know what I was going to say. I'm just trying to not to get in trouble with, like, the platform guidelines. 
It's I'm just doing it for the memes, sir. Platform, please. I- I'm chilling. Chapter seven. When school ended the next day, I bought a box of chocolates at the grocery store and then headed down the street to Pretty Bouquets, the only flower shop I knew. A little brass bell dinged as I entered. My nose was immediately attacked by the overwhelming scent of flowers and candles and potpourri. A middle-aged woman with her hair pulled back greeted me from behind the counter. Hello, dear. What can I do for you today? Hi, I need to buy some flowers. I'm glad to hear that, sweetie, because that's what we sell. She let out a high-pitched laugh. What kind are you looking for? Jared had never bought flowers for his girlfriend before, so he didn't know what kind she liked. I knew I was about to show my own ignorance, but it couldn't be helped. Well, once that smell good, I guess. The woman laughed again, but not as hard. Let me ask you this. Are they for a young woman? I nodded. Yeah, they're for a girl. How lovely. And what does the girl look like? Her complexion, her hair color. I don't know. You don't know? How can you buy flowers for a girl if you don't even know what she looks like? I didn't think that would be a requirement. The woman seemed a little flustered. Of course it is. The color and the species of a flower should complement the girl's appearance. She paused for a moment and then seemed to realize something. Oh, I see. This is a blind date. I shook my head. I'm in the seventh grade. I'm way too young to worry about the whole dating thing. She stared at me for a moment. All right, then. Can you tell me the occasion for giving the flowers? The woman was so prim and proper that I couldn't resist telling the truth just to ruffle her feathers a little. The flower lady straightened her back slightly and stared at me some more. You aren't dating anyone, yet you want flowers to break up with a girl. A girl you've never seen. Yes, ma'am. The woman sighed. And I recommend roses. They are an all-purpose flower when it comes to matters of romantic relationships. How much is a bouquet of roses? My bouquet starts My bouquet start at twenty four ninety nine. Ouch. I pointed to some other flowers behind the counter. I thought they might have they might have been tulips. What about those? Those bouquets start at eighteen ninety nine. I pointed to some others, maybe lilies or or orchids. Or something else. Fourteen ninety nine. My profits were evaporating before my eyes. What's the cheapest bouquet of flowers I can get from you? The lady sighed again, defeated. She handed me a bouquet of white flowers wrapped in green paper. Carnations, nine ninety nine. Traditionally a funeral flower. Now we're talking. I paid for the flowers and the lady told me I could pick out a message card for free. I chose one that said my sympathies. I didn't think the congratulations card would be appropriate, although I briefly considered get well soon. Oh, no, you do not. Ooh. Okay, but the carnations being used for a breakup is sort of good symbolism. I don't know if it's intentional, but it's sort of like a slap in the face along with a punch to the gut when you get the flowers with the breakup, but still. I stuck the card into the center of the flowers and headed for the exit. I had a message to deliver. I hadn't gone a block from the flower store when my nerves began to get to me. There I was, about to meddle in somebody else else's relationship. Metal, nothing. I was going to tear it down like a trigger-happy demolition man. With Marcus and Melissa, it was different. I knew them, but these were two strangers. It felt weird and exciting and terrifying all at once. And then, as I rounded the corner of the grassy high school sports field, I saw Abby coming toward me. Then it felt most mostly terrifying. 
I stuck some flowers behind my back. Hey, Quentin, she said as we both came to a stop on the sidewalk. What's with the flowers? Flowers? I looked into my hands as though they'd been empty seconds before. Oh, those. Um, they're not for me. I mean, actually, I'm not going to give them to you. Or actually, um, they're not for me to anyone in particular. Smooth as silk. Sure, buddy. But they're for a girl? Abby asked the question slowly, like she was trying to solve one of those mind-bender puzzles and talk at the same time. I was stuck. What the heck was I supposed? Sorry, notification. What the heck was I supposed to say? I couldn't just make up a lie about giving the flowers to some, to just anybody. I figured I had no choice but to tell her the truth, for better or for, for better or worse. But Abby narrowed her eyes. Are those part of your secret with Marcus and Melissa? She apparently hadn't heard the latest news about that ex-couple, but I saw my way out and dove for it headfirst. Well, you know I can't tell you that, but you're headed in the right direction. An odd look of relief flooded Abby's face. Oh, good. I mean, good for Melissa and all, anyway. She smiled at me shyly. Are you sure you can't give me a hint about their secret? I wish you'd stop asking. I already told you no. I said it more sharply than I meant to. My nerves were already on edge and my encounter with Abby wasn't helping. Sorry, just curious. I could even help if you wanted me to. Thanks. It's not your kind of thing, though. It was time to move on. The bouquet of white flowers was somehow getting heavier by the, by the minute. Abby put her hands on her hips. Not my kind of thing? Are you saying romance isn't my kind of thing? No, I was, I was saying that I needed to go before I jammed my foot in my mouth any further. Well, I said... I won't expect you to know anything about romantic relationships because you've never had one. Neither have you, Mr. Romance. She was slipping into her district attorney tone of voice, challenging me. I didn't have time for that, but my blood was getting hot. I ignored the flashing red warning lights in my head as my shields went up and I switched into defense mode. And I don't need one. I'm 13 years old. Maybe when I'm ready to get married, I'll start looking. But meanwhile, I've got more important stuff to do with my time. Like what? Hmm... She had me there. Like, help Marcus out with his girlfriend? Abby said. No, like, sports. You don't play sports. I do karate, I said. I thought you quit your karate class. So I'm between interests right now. I limp wrist when I said- I went limp wrist. So I- I- Oh my gosh. Bop. <laughs> I didn't even mean to limp wrist. It just happened. And then I could. Oh my god. I dropped my bookmark. And there goes my paper. With lyrics on it. Not lyrics that I wrote. But lyrics from a song that doesn't officially have lyrics. But in the comic they put lyrics for the song. So I was like. I have a little rap rate. I want to know these lyrics. So then I wrote them down on a piece of paper. And for like a straight hour. I was just singing them on loop. And that proves how I'm mentally unstable. Ahead. Anyway. Continuing with the book beep bop 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 beep here we are so in between interests right now what difference does that make the difference is that you don't have a girlfriend because you have no idea how to get one maybe i don't have a girlfriend because there aren't any girls around here worth looking at quentin ah you stupid boy you stupid boy, you're in denial. You have a crush on Abby.
Ugh. Abby stared at me without a word. The look on her face made my defense mode blow a fuse and it shut down entirely. Hey, I said. Our club is at the high school today, Abby said quickly. I gotta go. See ya. She brushed brushed past me, leaving me with the bouquet of white flowers and the strong taste of foot on my tongue. How do you know what foot tastes like? Mm? How do you know? Mm? Oh, wait, I can't make those kinds of jokes. Oh. Um, if you know, you know. If you don't know, you don't know. Period, I suppose. I don't... I sighed. Abby and I often had friendly debates about the important things in life. Stuff like vegetarianism versus the benefits of fast food, whether school money should be spent on the arts or classroom video game systems, and the age-old classic rock versus alternative alternative argument. But this conversation had completely imploded. Something was up, and I couldn't figure out what. Sure, Mr. Heartbreak Messenger. You know how to break people's hearts, but you don't how to know how to read your own, you stupid little boy. Stupid little boy. Ugh. I trudged up the sidewalk and headed for the soccer field, hoping to score better in the second half. An Im- Oh, chapter 8. An image came to mind as I sat in the bleachers at the high school soccer field with a box of chocolates and a bouquet of carnations. It was from an animal- <laughs> It was from an animal documentary on TV about the Serengeti in Africa. This group of hyenas had come across a dead wildebeest and started chowing down. One hyena decided he wasn't getting his fair share, so he laid into another hyena hyena to get him to move. The The other hyena didn't like that, and they started to fight. Before you knew it, the entire clan of hyenas was in one massive brawl with teeth, claws, and tails flying. In the end, one of the hyenas got killed, and they made lunch out of him instead of the wildebeest. I guess everyone likes their food fresh. From what I know about hyenas, it's it's like a female-dominated clan. So, like, this author clearly... Wait, where's my turtle squishy boy? Where's my turtle squishy boy? Oh my god! When did he fall? Send your turtle! No! When did he fall? Oh my god! Hello? I am so sorry about that, sir. Let me just... He's dirty now! He's like one of those... What some people call mochi squishies? No! Too much water! Too much water! Ah! I am so sorry, good sir. This is such a mess. I am terribly sorry for what I've done to you today. My goodness. (sighs) I am a terrible person. I am so sorry. Oh my gosh! He's such a little guy! Can I just drown him? Well, not. And I let him sit on the floor for who knows how long! On his back! Oh my god! Squish, squish! I'm so sorry! Oh my gosh! I was watching the girls' soccer team play a scrimmage game against their second-string lineup, and it looked like, and it looked just like that scene with the hyenas, except the grass was greener and the girls wore jerseys. 
I'd heard rumors that this team had the regional record for the most red cards pulled out pulled on them in a season, and by watching them for just a few minutes, I could see why. There was enough shoving, slide tackling, and angry shouting to fill a WWE arena. I searched the field for number 16. I found her just in time to see her drop a shoulder and plow into a player wearing a white jersey. She pointed two fingers and a victory sign as her opponent fell to the ground. That was Carmen Mendoza. Buddy, you're gonna get beat up. Well, I don't think he does, but... He would deserve it, honestly. I wondered if she would take the message as coolly as mes- Melissa did. Melissa had, Jesus Christ. The game went on for a while. The white jerseys were getting creamed, although there were plenty of elbows thrown on both sides. To keep my mind off the injuries Carmen was passing around, I pulled out the notes I jotted down on what I was going to say to her. Jerry sent me to break up with him for you. He wants me to give you these flowers and chocolates as a parting gift. Thank you and good luck. On the field, Carmen was yelling at a teammate. With Melissa, everything had gone so smoothly that I ha- that I really hadn't put much thought into how this would work with someone else. My hands were sweating. I looked at my notes again. I need something better for a high-pressure situation like this, like a movie script. Movies are always full of people that know exactly what to say. Even when people in movies say something dumb, it still sounds good. What I needed was a cool one-liner. Then I remembered the fortune cookies Rob and I had scarfed the day before. I dug into my backpack and found a few slips of paper scattered at the bottom. I unfolded the first one. A misstep will bring you great pain. I glanced up in time to see Carmen body check an an opponent. I ripped the fortune in half and pulled out another. Love asks me no questions and and gives me endless support. Nice thought, but I figured Carmen would probably have a few questions to ask Carmen when this was through. Next, you will be invited to a karaoke party. Good to know. I unfolded the last paper fortune, saying goodbye brings such great sorrow. Well, it wasn't exactly Oscar-winning dialogue, but given the options, I decided it would have to do. I repeated the phrase over and over again in my mind until I had it down. I needed to be confident yet sympathetic, bold yet understanding. When the coach finally looked up from the paperback he was reading and blew hard on his whistle, I was ready. The girls grabbed their equipment and water bottles and moved toward the locker room entrance. I maneuvered down the bleachers and trotted across the field to head, off, to head them off. When I was close enough, I called, Carmen! Flanked by two of her teammates, Carmen glanced in my direction but then kept walking. I put on a little more speed and came up right in front of her. I paused a moment to catch my breath. She stared at me with hard, dark eyes. What do you want, punk? I need to talk with you. I said. Her teammates giggled, looking at the flowers and the chocolates alone. Sorry, dinner's here or something. Looking at the flowers and chocolates. Oh, alone. She didn't blink. The other girl stayed beside her, laughing a little more. Carmen's forehead glistened with sweat. A droplet hung from her nose, somehow making her seem even more savage. What do you want, little boy? I spoke as forcefully as I could. I mostly just mostly just to keep my voice from cracking. I have a message for you from Jared. That made her blink, but just once. Well, I cleared my throat and held out the flowers, recite, resisting the, like heck the urge to turn and run. Saying goodbye brings such great sorrow. Carmen batted the flowers aside and took a step closer to me. I'm getting tired of you already, little punk. Now tell me what this is about. I cleared my throat again and forced myself to look into her eyes. I'm a professional. I'm a professional. Jared sent me to tell you that he's breaking up with you. 
Karma's dark skin flushed red and the hard lines faded away. Her friends weren't laughing anymore. She spoke quietly. You want to say that to me one more time? Not really. I cleared my throat again. Jared asked me to come tell you that, um, he's breaking up with you. Steady, man. I looked down at the items in my hands. He wanted me to give you these as a token of his, and that's when it hit me. I don't know for sure what it was. Probably Carmen's, Carmen's fist, although it felt more like a rock. Or maybe a can of beef stew. I went from staring at the white flowers of death to staring at a bright flash of stars to finally staring at the blue sky peppered with clouds. I found myself flat on my back in the grass and my head was throbbing. It was kind of a surreal moment, like the exact instant when an ordinary guy in the comic books turns into a superhero. It was as though my sense of hearing was enhanced by me, beyond normal human abilities. I could hear the cars idling at the traffic light on the other side of the field. I could hear the feet of the cross-country team making their way around the circuit. I could hear the doors of the girls' locker, rooms, locker room open and slam and open and slam. And, though I couldn't really be sure, I thought I heard, maybe, the sound of Carmen crying. And that's when I passed out. So we did get beat up. So we did get injured. Not, like, beat up, beat up, but, like, harmed. Bodily harm for the boy. Which, like, honestly, fair. I called it. I expected it. But I don't know if it was Carmen. Did Carmen hit him? Did Abby pop in and be like, bro, what the heckle McFeckle? I don't know. But though it will seem like no time shall pass. I'm gonna go eat dinner, then I'll be back. Peace for now. So, we are now back from dinner. And we are ready to continue with chapter 9. I don't think I was unconscious on the soccer field for very long, but when I, when I came to, I found myself staring up at a bunch of cheerleaders who wanted me to get off the field so they could practice. They were really polite about it, though. One of the guy cheerleaders even offered to pick me up and carry me off if I needed help. The carnations still seemed to be in pretty good shape. They had been knocked around a little, but all the petals were still intact. And, unlike me, the box of chocolates had made it had also made it through the incident unharmed. I took them home and actually considered myself lucky. Carmen had obvi- obviously refused the gifts. The boy, boy, had she refused the gifts. And so I had no problem with saving the merchandise for a future job. Assuming there would be a future job, be another job. There were apparently some risks I'd have to, t- have to think through first. Death, for example. So it was Carmen that punched him. Yeah. I pulled out a glass vase from under the sink for the flowers and put them in my room. I placed them next to the window and then piled up a big mound of clothes and junk in front of them so they didn't look so obvious. I didn't really want Mom to suddenly see a vase of flowers in her son's bedroom. She might wonder about me. I resist- Wonder about you how? Would she think you're gay or something? Like, bro. I don't care if you're gay. Like, I- Ugh. Sorry. Um. I resisted the temptation to eat the chocolates by stuffing the box in my underwear drawer. Oh, you don't put chocolate in your underwear drawer. That's gross. Then I dug out a bag of frozen peas from the freezer and wrapped it in a dish towel. As I held it to the 
As I held it up to the left side of my face, I had to admit that Carmen's reaction had completely taken me by surprise. I mean, I could understand her getting upset with the jerkwad that broke up with her, but didn't she know that you don't shoot the messenger? I was sure I'd heard that in a movie, somewhere. The icy towel began to sting my skin, soothing and hurting at the same time. I went into the bathroom and stared at myself in the mirror. I gently lifted the towel to reveal four different colors spreading out along my swollen cheek. It was a shiner to be proud of. That thought made me stand up a little straighter. I have been clobbered by the star player of the girls' soccer team. Someone so fierce that she that she left a trail of broken bones and red cards in her wake. And yet I stood up to her without flinch, flinching. Carmen Mendoza may have been tough, but the heartbreak messenger was a force to be reckoned with, too. I glanced at the clock, then back at my, multi, at my multicolored face. Maybe Mom wouldn't notice. At three minutes apiece, it didn't take long for me to have our microwavable TV dinners hot and ready to get on the table at mix. Making dinner is so easy. I don't know why people complain about having to cook. Mom washed up the sink and sat down. She glanced at me, then down at the dinner tray and inhaled. Mmm, chicken fried steak and creamed corn. She smiled. So far, so good. <clears throat> I grabbed my plastic fork and dug in. Your turn, Mom. I said between the first and second bites. Let's see, how about fighting at school? I looked up at her, trying to keep my face as straight as possible, which took some serious effort under the scrutiny of Mom eyes. Fighting at school? I'm against it. 100%. It seems to me that only a dipstick couldn't figure out a solution to a problem without resorting to throwing punches. I hoped that Carmen wasn't within earshot. Oh, I don't know about that, Mom said. I suppose even intelligent guys realize that sometimes they have to fight to get what they want, or to do what's right, or to defend themselves. The difference between an intelligent guy and a bonehead is that the bonehead fights first and thinks later. The other guy thinks it through, looks at the options, and then decides that, that fighting's the best choice he's got. I stopped chewing, my mouth hanging half open. Moms aren't supposed to talk that way, even my mom, the grease monkey. Somehow, though, what she said made a lot of sense. I finally nodded my head and finished chewing. Despite her words of wisdom, I knew there was no hiding it. Does my eye look that bad? It ain't pretty. I finished off my mini portion of cherry cobbler before saying anything else. Well, it wasn't a fight, more of a misunderstanding. There was this guy that broke up with his girlfriend, and I happened to be standing nearby when it happened. The girl just went totally ballistic and started hitting things, including my eye. She tried hard, but there was no way for Mom to hide her smile when it was so plain on her face. A girl did that? She was a tough girl, a soccer player. By then, she was laughing, hands over her mouth laughing. It was just... It was just my mom, but I could feel my ears turning pink. I'm serious, mom. They give her red cards like they're lunch tickets. She kept going. Soon her eyes were watering. Mom, you're not doing much for my sense of manliness. She forced herself to grab a breath. I'm sorry, Quentin. She closed her eyes and took another deep breath. Did this happen at school? Do I need to talk to the principal about it? My eyes got wide, including the purple one. Are you kidding? As far as the rest of the world knows, I hit my head on the bathroom sink when I bent down to tie my shoe. Mom reached across the table and ruffled my hair. My poor baby. I pulled back and grinned. No, it's too late for that. You keep your fake pity to yourself. As I walked home after dinner, my thoughts wandered back to the fifth grade. That year, Rob got into a fight on the playground with the fourth grader who was picking on him. To Rob's credit, it was Stubbs Thompson, the biggest kid in the school who had been held back a grade twice, but still a fourth grader. No one really got hurt. 
but they both got in plenty of trouble. I remember Rob telling me about the long talk he'd had with his dad the night after it happened. His dad had been totally cool about it. He'd shared a few stories about fights from his school days, talked about when it was okay to stand up for yourself and when to let it go, and how to hold up your left fist in front of in front as a guard. I think he even took Rob out for ice cream or something. I'm pretty level-headed and hadn't ever been in a fight. Rob throwing sand in my face in the second grade didn't count. Carmen Mendoza's fist was the first time I'd even come halfway close. Since Rob's experience, though, I'd wondered on occasion what would happen if I got into a fight. I mean, I couldn't have asked for a better reaction from my mom for that black eye. But still, talking about something so personal and manly as your first shiner, it really ought to come from a father, you know? I suppose I wasn't the first single-parent kid to feel cheated out of stuff. Mom always says that you shouldn't waste any time feeling sorry for yourself, but as I turned down our street in the blue evening light, I reached up and gently touched the swollen skin around my left eye and winced. Chapter 10 Carmen Mendoza had hammered into me the idea that this heartbreak messenger business might be a little risky. I figured Carmen was probably an extreme case. I really hoped she was an extreme case, but it was enough to make me argue with myself about whether I should keep the business going. The $70 I'd pulled in was amazingly persuasive, however, however, and it didn't take long for the money to win the argument. If I was going to risk my life, at least I stood to make some good money doing it. But that presented another problem. If this gig was going to work, there had to be a steady stream of clients. Advertising was out of the question, just in case Carmen wasn't an extreme case. I needed a way to drum up business without announcing to the world that I was the heartbreak messenger and you could find me in apartment 326T. I needed a front man, someone out in the field of potential clients who could make the sale for me, so I turned to the only high schooler I knew. Marcus, I have a proposition for you. I told him one afternoon over a bowl of chocolate chip cookie dough ice cream. Oh yeah? What's that? You know how you told Jared about the help I gave him with Melissa? Oh, sure, man. Oh, sure. Man, he was hurting something bad. Problem was, he knew Carmen would beat the crud out of him if he broke up with her himself. Marcus laughed. In fact, I haven't seen him at school since he delivered the message. He's probably still lying low, just in case. I rubbed the side of my face, which was still a little tender. Do you think you could find other guys that might need my service? You know, send them my way like you did Jared? I'm sure I could. Marcus's eyes grew a little wider. I see. You want me to drum up business for you? Yeah. In fact, I know a couple of a couple guys off the top of my head that might want a little help. I'll talk to them. For a cut, of course. How about 10% of the profit? Marcus stuck out his hand. Deal. I knew it would take him a while to crunch the numbers and figure out it only came to two fifty a job. In the meantime, I now had my front man. Marcus was as good as, as his word. The next Monday after school, as I headed out of the junior high, Marcus was standing there with another high schooler. Marcus pointed toward me and flashed a thumbs up. I changed direction and headed for an empty part of the schoolyard. My new potential client, a tall kid with a shaved head and glasses, sauntered over. What's up? He said. I'm Ty. My man Marcus says that you're the heartbreak messenger. That's right. What can I do for you? The guy bit his lower lip and looked up at the sky for a, for a good long moment. I gotta break up with my baby. He smoothed down his eyebrows with his fingertips. I waited for him to go on. His eyes were getting a little moist. I'm no good for her, see? That's what her mama says. That's what her girlfriend says. That's what everybody says. And they're right, man. He sniffed, long and loud. I love her, but I'm no good for her. I gotta end it. Oh, I'm sorry, I guess. I felt like an under- I felt like an undertaker talking about funeral arrangements. 
What's her name? Her name's Letitia. It means great happiness, and that's all she's brought to me. I got a picture right here. He whipped out his wallet and flipped it open. See? It was a picture of Ty and a girl with big hair making kissy faces at the camera as one of them held it out and snapped the photo. Then where can I find her? I asked. She works the desk down at Chic Clinique on 5th. She always smells like the shampoo of the week. Uh, right. Well, a lot of guys want me to take the girl chocolates and flowers. Nah, none of that. She's got allergies for, like, everything. Okay. In my mind, I could see the carnations wilting away in my room. Well, then. But I do have a song. A what? A song, man. It's our song. Hers and mine. Something special, and I wrote it myself. I want you to sing it to her. Kind of a going-away present for me. Well, I'm not much of a singer. Understatement of the year. Mom actually asked me not to sing in the shower. No worries. Powerful lyrics sing... Powerful lyrics like this sing for themselves. Poetry. It's all about what's here that counts. He thumps his heart with his fist. It goes like this. Every once in a while, life hands you a surprise. Something you never could have guessed was going to happen. A high schooler serenading me on the junior high blacktop was one of those things. I'm not going to try to sing this. Like, I can sing, but no. You see the moon, you see the star, but me alone, I won't go far. Ty didn't hold anything back. His voice warbled and rose and de- up and down like he was serious stuff in a recording studio. I glanced around to see a few stragglers still leaving the school grounds. I tried to look natural, which was hard since Ty had some hand motions and arm waving to go with those powerful lyrics. You have my love. You are my fire. Like the sun above, you're my desire. Bay B. <laughs> I'm sorry the way I paused for that. It's like... B-A dot 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 B. You savor the final note like it was a piece of creamy European chocolate. You got that? Um, close enough. My screechy rendition would be mostly unintelligible anyway. Now about the money. Oh, and there's one more thing, heartbreaker. My ring. Your ring? Yeah, she's got my class ring. The one with the red stone in the middle. She wears it everywhere. But since we're going our separate ways and all, I'm gonna need it back. Why did he think I was- what did he think I was running? A singing repo service? I've heard that the customer is always right, but after the Carmen Mendoza business, I was a little worried about getting close enough to grab a ring. You sure you need it? Yeah, man. I paid good money for that ring. Just give it to Marcus when you got it. He knows where to find me. I charge him 30, since love songs and ring retrieval were a little outside of my normal job description. He was cool with that, except that- Opening his wallet to get my cash brought Letitia into view again, which meant an encore performance. I hummed along. Chic Clinique was just a few blocks from Mix, so I went to the garage to drop off my things first. Rob and Abby were already at the picnic table, notebooks out. Hey guys, I said as I tossed my backpack onto the table. I need to run an errand. I'll be back in a few. Abby looked a, dis- a little disappointment. I figured it was because we had an English assignment due the next day and she wanted help with it. Don't worry, I said. I'll be quick. I made my way over to Chic Clinique, a a small shop squeezed between an all-oak furniture store and an army surplus outlet. I put my face up to the window to see several customers in swivel chairs and several employees doing hair and nails and whatever else they do in places like that. None of them looked like the photo of Letitia. I started to turn away when I heard the receptionist's desk cram 
when, when I saw the receptionist desk crammed into the front corner, behind it, reading a magazine, sat the girl who was apparently too good for Ty. Now, how to get her alone? The thought of going inside a room full of gossipy women terrified me. Who knew what deep secrets they might be able to pry out of me with their arsenal of cos- cosmetic chemicals? I also needed to be outside just in case any of them had grudges against guys and didn't take kindly to Ty's message. I moved to the nearest window and tapped quietly. Letitia didn't look up. I tapped again, a little harder. I felt a few of the hairdressers and nail filers turn in, t- turn in my direction, but Letitia remained glued to her magazine. I banged on the window with my knuckles. Letitia looked up at me, along with every other person in the salon. Not quite the subtle approach I had planned. I smiled weakly and motioned Letitia to come outside. To come outside. She gave me a funny look, but I heard one of the other employees say something. Letitia sighed and put her magazine down and headed for the entrance. Hey, what do you want? She asked as she stuck her head out the door. Are you Letitia? She looked a little confused. Yeah? Who are you? After Carmen, I'd taken some time to look up a few good one-liners on the internet. And I had one ready for Letitia. Kind of an icebreaker, you know? The hottest love has the coldest end. Socrates. Being able to toss out a saying by someone both dead and Greek makes you seem all the more professional. Yeah, that's nice, kid. You waiting for your mom? I'm sure she'll be done soon. Letitia started to duck back inside. Ty sent me. That made her stop. Ty? She stepped down onto the sidewalk, the door swinging closed behind her. I cleared my throat. Ty sent me to tell you that he's no good for you, and he's breaking up with you. Letitia stood there for... With her mouth open, her eyes moving back and forth as though she were trying to read the joke on my face that wasn't there. Why are you messing with me? She asked, her eyes flashing between de- anger and desperation. Um, I'm not. Really. In fact, I have a song he asked me to sing. I started, I hummed a starting note just to see how it sounded before launching into it. You see the moon, you see the star. Letitia stepped forward and shoved my shoulders. Oh no, you don't. I jumped clear and backed a few steps into the street, my heart in my throat. My eye was just returning to its natural color, which was how I wanted to keep it. Letitia stood on the curb, hands on her hips. Her head wove from side to side as she spoke. How dare you tell me Ty's breaking up with me and then go and sing our song. That ain't right. You don't treat a woman like that. You can go back and tell Ty that if he wants to break up with me, he comes and tells me himself. Well, actually, I'm in the business of taking messages. Maybe I could help you out. One side of my brain was screaming at me to keep my mouth shut, but the other side couldn't let a potential opportunity pass me by. Her eyes narrowed. If you want to help me, you'll turn your skinny junior high butt around and go let the air out of my ex-boyfriend's tires. There was business potential there, too, but that seemed a little more risky. Letitia turned, ready to take her icy storm into the chic clinique, where it would probably become hot gossip. Uh, one more thing, please. She gave me a sidelong gaze of death with one hand on the door. Ty wants his ring back, his class ring with the red stone in the middle. Her look was what a vulture might give a half-dead deer on the highway before tearing into it. She walked back toward me with a casual swagger. He wants his wing- wing. Dang it. He wants his ring back, does he? She pulled a gold ring off her middle finger. The ring I helped him pick out? The ring he told me represents his undying love for me? The ring he said he was going to replace someday with a diamond? That ring? Well, um, does it have a red stone? If it's the one with the red stone, then yes. She held up the gold ring with the, with the red stone in the middle. Here you go.
I hesitated and then took a step forward with my hand out. I could hardly believe she was really going to give it to me. She moved her hand toward mine, dangling the ring above it. Then, just before she let it go, she moved her hand to the side. The ring plunged into, like a skydiver, without a chute toward, down toward the street. With a metallic clink, it hit the metal grate of the storm drain. Storm drain. With another clink, it struck the second set of bars. And with a thud, it stopped at the concrete bottom. Letitia lifted a single eyebrow and then slowly turned and strutted into the salon. I stared after her, wondering if Ty had broken up with his girlfriend or if it was the other way around. <clears throat> Chapter 11. Oh, brother. I mumbled, staring into the storm drain. Water-swept leaves and grass with a sprinkling of candy bar wrappers decorated the wide crisscross crisscrosses of the first grate. The filth on the lower grate was barely recognizable, and the concrete floor on the bottom glistened with a thick green layer of who knew what. I got down on my hands and knees and peered into the semi-darkness. It wasn't very deep. I could probably reach the ring if I really stretched, and if I could fit my hand through the, and if my hand could fit through the narrow openings of the second grate. The question was, did I really want to? If I didn't return the ring to Ty, he would probably want his money back. He might even think I'd stolen the ring and sold it on the junior high black market. Or, worst of all, he might start telling his friends what a botched job the heartbreak messenger did for him. One rumor like that spreading through the high school locker room would put a stop to my business like a brick in front of a bike jump, and I'd be left with nothing to help mom out with the rent. I leaned down and stuck my hand through the first grate. I squinted and held my breath as I passed my hand through the second grate. I tried not to touch the slimy metal, but it wasn't easy, since I had to stretch my fingers out and fold my thumb in just to get it through the small opening. The built-up filth was like felt like well, wet, bleh, wet leather on my warm skin. Once my hand was through, I pressed my shoulder against the first grate and groped for the ring. I forced myself to run my fingers over the moist cement bottom, since it was hard to see anything down there. I thought I could make out a, gl a glint of clean metal several inches from my fingertips. I couldn't stretch any further, so I pulled my arm out, moved over a little, and then pushed in through the grates a second time. The stench coming from the wide mouth of the sewer made it hard to breathe. A slight wave of nausea rolled through my stomach, and I tried to think more pleasant thoughts. A hot shower and hand sanitizer, for example. It took me a bit of feeling around, but in time I struck gold, literally. I snagged the ring with my fingertips, but as I pulled my hand back out, holding the ring like that, I found that my hand was too wide to fit through the, through the grates. I felt the ring slipping from my fingers as I pulled. Quentin? I twisted my head around, trying to keep the rest of my body as still as possible. Abby stood above me on the, on the sidewalk. What are you doing? She asked. I, uh, dropped something and I'm trying to get it back out. Bad luck, eh? Right. Abby shifted her weight from foot to foot as she chewed on a fingernail. I'll be there in a few minutes for homework, as soon as I get finished with this. I gently tugged my hand back toward the opening in the grate, but I could feel the ring getting squeezed out from between my fingers like a cartoon banana out of, out of the peel. Hey, Quentin, I need to talk to you about something. Um, okay. I turned just a little so I could look at Abby without twisting my neck into a twizzler. I mashed the ring between my fingers as tightly as I could. Abby sat down on the curb a few feet away. Her fingers fiddled with the wo woven, woven, that's the word, oh, with a woven bracelet on her wrist. Do you remember Justin Masterson, the guy you met at the art show? She asked her question carefully, like she was opening one of those peanut cans that have a springy snake inside. Yeah, 
I said. Hard to forget I had as big as his. Abby fidgeted with her bracelet a little more, and then finally stood and started pacing in tight little circles. Well, we know each other pretty well. I mean, we've worked on a lot of art projects together, and we've both been in the club for a while, and I mean, he's seen me in a swimsuit for crying out loud, and he's even met my mom and dad, and he's an eighth grader. Abby, hurried up, I pleaded sidely, silently. There's no more blood in my arm. She seemed to be talking more to herself than to me, anyway. Then she stopped and looked down at me as she stood on the sidewalk, seeming mighty and tall from where I lay. From where I lay with my arm in the sewer. Justin's asked me to be his girlfriend. It took forever her, for her words to sink in, like dropping a pebble into wet mud. I felt lightheaded from the sewer smell, and my brain was as numb as my arm. By the time the sentence worked its way into my gray matter... Abby had already moved on. I mean, I think Justin's nice and everything, and really kind of cute, but you know. She took a deep breath. I guess what I really want to know, Quentin, as my best friend, of course, can you think of any reason why I shouldn't go out with Justin? An hour later, I would be able to think of a million reasons. Because he's an idiot, because he wears bulky sweaters to make it look like he goes to the gym twice a day, because he's an 8th grader who gets his teeth whitened. Because he swallowed an art encyclopedia and could tell you every messed up detail about what Jackson Kusa what's it ate for breakfast. Because spending more time with him means spending less time with me. But in that moment, up to my shoulder in slimy cast iron, with my brain apparently in standby mode, all I could think was, my arm's going to fall off. Any reason at all? Abby's eyes seemed to be searching for something written on my face or hiding in my eyes. She was probably seeing the pain of a nearly dislocated shoulder. I don't know if that's how dislocation works, but, like, okay, sir. Not that I can think of, I said. She just stood there, staring at me like I'd given her the wrong answer or something. Then she nodded her head slowly and spoke just, a just louder than a whisper. All right. Thanks, Quentin. Then she turned and left, and the ring fell with a clink back to the bottom of the storm drain. I'm gonna cut it off there, because, like, we're three minutes away from where I cap off my normal recording time. And that sounds like a stop solid end point. Um, but I don't want to cut it off, like, three minutes early, like, fully. So, like... I don't know. I don't have anything short. Oh, wait. Yes, I do. I have a poetry book. Hang on. And we're back. They have the poetry book called The New Kid on the Block, poems by Jack Prilitsky. I think I, like, stole this from my school when I was younger, but, like, too late now to give it back, you know? There's one poem that I liked and it was long. I remember this. I knew it was long. Evan Bleezer's ice cream was funny. I remember that. 
Okay, so I have three that I'll read. And then I think we'll be good for me to end it. Dainty Dottie D. There's no one as immaculate as Dainty Dottie D, who clearly has the cleanest that a human being can be. No sooner does she waken than she hoses down her bed and hurries to her kitchen to dis- and disinfects the bread. She spends the morning sweeping every inch of every room. When all the floors are spotless, Dottie polishes the broom. She mops the walls and ceilings. She scrubs beneath the rug. And should a bug mean nearby, she tidies up that bug. Dottie boils the... Sh- the phone and toaster, Dottie rinses the shampoo, she waxes the salami, and she vacuums the stew. She dusts the cheese and crackers, and she sponges down the pie. She lathers the spaghetti, then hangs it up to dry. Dottie scours the locks and keyholes, and she soaps the bathroom scale. She launders every light bulb, she bathes the morning mail. But her art is out her habit ever, of course, in a visitor's little doubt, is washing all the garbage before she throws it out. Then... Blazer's ice cream. This is them trying to give you like a tongue twister. I am Ebenezer Blazer. I'm from Blazer's Ice Cream Store. There are flavors in my freezer you have never seen before. 28 to find creations, too delicious to resist. Why not do yourself a favor? Try the flavors on my list. Cocoa mocha macaroni, tapioca smoked bologna, checkerberry cheddar chew, chicken cherry honeydew, tutti frutti stewed po- tomato, t- tuna taco taco baked potato, lobster lychee lima bean, mozzarella mangosteen, almond ham meringue salami, yam anchovy prune pastrami, sassafras suvlaki hash, sukiyaki sukatash, butter, pr- butter brickle pepper pickle, pomegranate pumpernickel, peach pimento pickle, pizza plum, pe- peanut pumpkin bu- bubblegum. I told you it's trying to give you a tongue twister. Uh, where was I? Broccoli, banana, bluster, chocolate, chop soy cluster. Avocado, Brussels sprout, periwinkle, sauerkraut, cotton candy, carrot custard, cauliflower, colder, cola mustard, onion dumpling, double dip, turnip, truffle, triple flip, garlic, gumbo, gravy, guava, gravy, guava, lentil, lemon, liver, lava, orange, olive, bagel, beet, watermelon, waffle, wheat. I am Ebenezer Blazer. I run Blazer's Ice Cream Store. Taste a flavor from my freezer. You will surely ask for more. And then the last one I'll read is my dog. He is an ugly dog. My dog. He is an ugly, ugly dog. He's put together wrong. His legs are much too short for him. His ears are much too long. My dog. He is a scruffy dog. He's missing clumps of hair. His face is quite really ridiculous. His tail is scarcely there. My dog. He is a dingy dog. His fur is full of fleas. He sometimes smells like dirty socks. He sometimes smells like cheese. My dog. He is a noisy dog. He's barely ever still. He barks at almost anything. His voice is loud and shrill. My dog, he is a stupid dog. His mouth, his mind is slow and thick. He's never learned to catch a ball. He cannot fetch a stick. My dog, he is a greedy dog. He eats enough for three. His belly bulges to the ground. He is the dog for me. Which, like, aw, dog. We love dog. Woof, woof. Yubba zubbies. What? No, what is this? Yubba Zubbies, you are yummy. You are succulent and sweet. You are splendidly delicious, quite delectable to eat. Oh, I smack my lips with relish when you bump against my knees and nuzzle up and s- up beside me, chirping, eat us if you please. You are juicy, Zubba Zubbies. You are tender, never tough. 
You are appetizing morsels I can never get enough. You have captivating flavors and a tantalizing smell, a bit like candied apple and a bit like caramel. Yabba zabbies, you are luscious. You are soft and smooth as silk, like a dish of chicken dumplings or a glass of chocolate milk. Even when, even when I'm hardly hungry, I am sure to taste a few, and I'm never disappointed. Yabba zabbies, I love you. Why are you eating the, se- the sentient food? That's like, that. I wouldn't. But now I'm in poetry world, so I'm reading another one. This might rabbit hole. I'll try not to let it rabbit hole. I will cut off after this. We won't look through anymore. I'll hold my hands, like, so I won't. Dauntless Dimble. Dauntless Dimble was the bravest of the bravest of the brave. Dimble climbed the highest mountain. He explored the deepest cave. Dimble fought the fiercest creatures, but he never met his match. Dimble often wrestled tigers and escaped without a scratch. Though the challenge went unanswered, he accepted every dare. Dimble walked on blazing embers and was none the worse for wear. Dimble exited an airplane high above a rocky butt. He escaped with minor bruises, though he wore no parachute. Oh, it's Butte. Okay. Dimble exited an airplane high above a rocky butte. He escaped with minor bruises, though he wore no parachute. Dimble dive. Dimble diving in the ocean was beset by hungry sharks, yet the only wounds he suffered were some superficial marks. Once a polar bear attacked him on the icy arctic flows, the result of that adventure was a slightly bloody nose. Dimble danced with deadly cobras. Dimble toyed with killer bees. Dimble Dimble dangled by one finger from a tiny grease trapeze, but he rose from sleep one morning, and while getting out of bed, Dimble tripped upon the carpet where he cracked his dauntless head. That's like, uh, I love irony, because it's funny. <laughs> but with that red, and with me throwing this poetry book away from me so I don't keep going, I'm going to cut off the podcast. Thank you for tuning in. Sorry if the vibes weren't as immaculate today. I don't know why. There wasn't much commentary. That's why I'm noting it. But, like, thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed the vibe. And I hope you enjoy the vibes next time you tune in. Bye bye